Welcome to North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week and inspires you to know Christ intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Christ daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its timeless truth for living life God's way. Let's listen to Pastor Brandon as he brings us today's message. A young man came to his boss and asked for the day off to attend his grandmother's funeral. His boss said, of course, sure, please go do that. I know what it's like to lose a loved one. The next day, uh, the young man was talking to his boss and the boss says, "Do do you believe in resurrection from the dead? And the young man replied, well, yeah, I, yeah, I do. And the boss explained, well, that's interesting because after you left work yesterday, your grandmother came by to visit you. (laughs) Wah, wah. Oh, I've got to have some some people out there making fun of me this morning. Put yourself in the place Sunday morning, countless years ago. Early in the morning, just before sunrise, you can start to see a haze on the horizon as the sun is beginning to come up. The disciples of Jesus, at this point, are hopelessly defeated. Jesus was crucified on Friday before the Sabbath. He was laid in a tomb very quickly. There was no embalming process they could do, and the embalming process the Jewish people would do would be to basically clean the body to prepare it for burial with uh, different kind of aromatic resins and and perfumes and things. And so they hurriedly, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, you remember Nicodemus from John chapter three, where Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Now think of Nicodemus, the Pharisee, And Joseph of Arimathea, an aristocrat, who just had a freshly hewn out tomb. Nicodemus being so impressed by Jesus, not just impressed, transformed into new life by belief in Jesus, comes and takes down the body with Joseph. They wrap it as quickly as uh, as possible. They put the burial cloths on and they lay his body on a slab that would have been been uh, preserved there for um, the dead. Here's how, here's how the burial process goes. You, you have these tombs that are hewn out of the side of, of, of caves or rock, you know, they're, they're basically man-made caves. And in there you have a stone slab that has been hewn into the side of the interior where the body would be laid out. The body would lay there for a period of a year until all that was left would be bones. They would take those bones at the end of the year and put them in what we call an ossuary or what the Jewish people call an ossuary, which is a bone box. And around the tomb would be these hewn holes where these ossuaries would slide into. And you would have a family tomb and your family members would be in the ossuaries that had gone on before you. So Jesus is laid in this freshly hewn tomb. It's never been used before a borrowed tomb, somebody else's, not even his own. He's laid out on this slab. 
for what everybody thinks will be at least a year until they can gather his bones and put them in a box. This is what is going on from Friday to Sunday morning. You have Jesus laying there on this slab. The disciples are still in Jerusalem, most of them. And they're worried, they're sick, they're defeated, they're discouraged. Some of them are beginning their journeys back home on a road to Emmaus. While others remain in Jerusalem contemplating what they're gonna do now. What do we do? We've given three years of our lives. We've, we've left everything, we've left families, we've left homes, we've left jobs. What are we gonna do? Bewildered, confused, and in complete shock, the men and the women who had followed Jesus are lost without him by their side. One minute the world was theirs. One minute they could do whatever it took. One minute they could take a sword and cut off the ear of a temple guard with such bravery and courage. And the next minute, hunkered down in fear. This is a scene that Mary Magdalene and the other women came to that early Sunday morning as they were bringing spices and resins to embalm the body of Jesus. They had come just before daybreak, just before Anybody else was there. But to their surprise, and they were wondering this along the way, who are we gonna get to roll the stone back? This is a huge round stone that would have been rolled through a crevice down to the opening of the tomb. And, and uh, just for safe measure, because the Pharisees and the, the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and all the other religious leaders who, who knew that he had claimed he was gonna rise from the dead again, were afraid that the disciples would come and take the body. So they, they sealed the tomb with the Roman seals. And uh, they stationed Roman guards at the tomb. And in the morning when the women got there, as they were thinking, who's gonna roll the stone away so we can prepare the body? The stone was gone, the seals were broken. There were no guards in sight. And this is where we pick up their story today in John chapter 20. We're gonna look at the first 10 verses. Early on Sunday morning, now John's account only gives the account of Mary Magdalene, um, but the other gospel accounts give the account of the other women, Mary, mother of Salome, Joanna, the ladies had come with them. Now, John isn't saying the other ladies weren't there. He just highlights Mary Magdalene. So let's read this. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran immediately and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we, there's the indication, there's more than just her that was at the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Imagine the distress. Mary's coming, expecting to find death. The stone is rolled away. I'm guessing she peered in and noticed the body isn't there because she tells them they've taken the body and we don't know where he is. What are we gonna do? We need help, we gotta find him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped in and he looked and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. 
Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' face was folded and lying apart from the other wrappings. We're going to come back to that. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until now, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. What scriptures did the uh, disciples have? Only the Old Testament scriptures, the Torah, the poetic writings. They didn't have the New Testament like you and I have. That helps us to see a deeper, more detailed experience of the story. But there are scriptures in the Old Testament that attest to the fact that Jesus was gonna rise from the grave. And they didn't understand until this moment that that was what was happening. And then verse 10, very quickly, what did they do? They went home. Have you ever expected the worst, but then encountered the best? Have you ever expected the worst but encountered the best? Has there ever been a a time when your discouragement was so overwhelming that you didn't think anything could ever change only to come to the realization that your expectations were completely wrong? We call this worry. How many of you ever worry or have become anxious about different things? You, you're worried about a test. You're worried about uh, this, this thing that's coming up, an interview. Maybe you're worried about any number of things, and then it comes and goes, and you're like, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Or, oh, my goodness, that was amazing. Why was I so worried about that? Right? Have you ever had those experiences before? We've been talking about truth and justice over the past few weeks, and we're going to to conclude this series next Sunday. I don't want you to miss it. So if you're here today, please come back. We're going to look at Mary's story just a little bit further in more detail. But what happens when the truth seems dead? What happens? We've been looking at truth and justice, and we've been in this year of love. This, This year has been, the theme has been love. And so every sermon, every sermon series hasn't been about love, but has been about an aspect of love. So if you go to 1 Corinthians 13, verses four through seven, what do you read there? You read Paul's definition of love. Love is patient, love is kind. It is, doesn't boast or brag. You know the, you know what I'm talking about? You probably heard it at weddings before. But this month, we've been looking at the aspect of love that doesn't rejoice over injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. How fitting to look at the Easter story through this lens of love. Love doesn't rejoice over the injustice that Jesus suffered, but it rejoices over the fact that truth wins out and truth rose from the grave. How do we know that Jesus was truth? Because he tells us with his own lips in John chapter 14, verse 6. And this has been the theme verse for this month. Jesus is with his disciples. He's telling them at the Last Supper in John chapter 14, guys, I'm not going to be with you much longer, but I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Oh, how exciting is that? That's great. Where are you going, Jesus? Just show us the way and we'll be satisfied. Just show us a way so we can know. We want to go where you're going. And Jesus says these poignant words in John chapter 14, verse 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. 
And then Philip pipes up, Philip, one of the 12, and he says, okay, 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 uh, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And in some bit of righteous indignation, I can see Jesus sitting there with his disciples saying, Philip, have I, have I not been with you guys this long and you still don't know me? When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And here's the key point this morning. Truth may seem dead for a time, but it will always rise in the end. No matter how much you lie, cheat, steal, no matter how much you want to cover up, truth will always come out. Why does truth always come out? Because truth is light, lies are darkness. And wherever there is light, there can be no darkness. And Darkness is always snuffed out by the light. If we had every light off in here and every window blocked, I guarantee you, if I were just to light a match, it would illuminate so much that you could see it from anywhere in this, build, in this room. Light is that powerful and that strong. So whenever truth seems dead, whenever despair seems to set in and be the only thing that you can handle anymore, it becomes the reality in your life. The ones who make it through are the ones who realize truth always wins in the end. And truth has a name, and that name is Jesus. And that name, not just the name, but the man Jesus is no longer in the tomb. He rose from the grave. But what about the scene we just looked at? There are three main characters. Peter, John, whom Jesus loved. We'll talk about that in a minute. And Mary. Let's look at them quickly and find out how this main point plays out in that scene, in that scenario. Mark's gospel reads this way in Mark chapter 16. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Salome, and Mary the mother of James went out, <coughs> excuse me, and purchased burial spices so that they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us so that we can, um, so we can get in? As they arrived, they looked and saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled aside. How often do we forget details of things that we know are gonna happen? How many, how many of you, 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 you know something's gonna happen, but when it happens, you forget completely that it was supposed to happen. Now, let me give you a for instance. Um, how many of you forget details of how to deal with an emergency when an emergency happens? All right, so I was an EMT for a while when I was younger. I got licensed at 19. And, uh, or 18, right out of high school. And I was an EMT for two years. And I had the little badge. I still have it in my closet. I can never wear those 29 waist pants anymore. Uh, I've tried. I can get it up to my calf. So, but I have the uniform. And I remember going through the training. And you have, the, the final exam is there are like five different, well, back in the day, I hear the, some, of the, some, of the, uh, some of the things have changed. But back in the day, there were five stations that we had to go through as our final exam. And we had to execute those stations perfectly. You couldn't get a 99.9%. .9%. You had to have 100% at each station. Why? Because <laughs> you, don't, you don't want somebody else's life laying on the line while you're like, oh, I got 99%. Is that okay? So picture this. 
I come up on the scene of an accident, which I did within those two years, worked for an ambulance service, and, and, uh, and, and we had a procedure that we would go through in our minds. Why? Because in the heat of the moment, if you don't have your head about you, you lose what you already know is supposed to happen at the scene of an accident, no matter how bad the accident is. The ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation. But before that, we say, well, we don't say, somebody else says, you call 911. Right? And here we come onto the scene and we go through, okay, let me check the, if the body's still intact, I'm gonna check the airway, I'm gonna check the breathing and the circulation. It, if you didn't have your head about you, you'd be wandering around aimlessly. I know what to do, I've learned it, I've trained for it, but how many of you have come up on this, uh, an emergency situation and everything goes out the window? Oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? Now think of that in this situation. Mary and the other ladies come to the tomb. And let's say later on, Peter and John come to the tomb and they're bewildered. But Jesus has told them up to this point, what's gonna happen? I'm gonna be handed over. I'm gonna be betrayed, I'll be crucified. But don't worry, worry about it, I'll rise again. At least three instances he tells them that. So they've got it locked away intellectually, but when it happens, what happens to them? <laughs> they forget. And unless we're too hard on them, we do the same thing. What would we have done in the same scenario? Though Mary and, and, and the disciples and all of the followers hung on every word that Jesus spoke, they didn't always remember or understand what he meant. Even when he was being blatantly 100% honest and open with them, he was always honest and open with them, but even when he told them the truth in plain language, for whatever reason, it went out the window at this moment. Mary somehow lost all of that in the heat of this moment. Truth may seem dead for a time, but it will always rise in the end. What about Peter? John tells us that Mary runs to Peter first to tell the news, and then she tells the other disciple whom Jesus loves. But let's think about Peter for a moment. Think about Peter. What had happened over the past 72 hours in Peter's life? I mean, we, we, we look at this over a course of pages and pages, and, and, and what's happening is three days. Not only did Peter witness the most tragic death of his Lord, his rabbi, his teacher. He'd also denied to others that he even knew Jesus. Soon after Jesus was arrested, Peter would go through the most difficult test of his life. The test of loyalty and association with his savior. Luke 22, listen to what happens in that scenario. So they arrested Jesus and they led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. Now hear this, because sometimes I think we disassociate, we think Peter ran off somewhere and then he denied the Lord, not in the Lord's presence. But Peter followed at a distance after they arrested Jesus. Now follow me through this. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. You ever had a kid stare at you? Right, this is what's happening around the around the, the fire that evening, and this kid is just like, huh. 
And kids point out things very blatantly. Uh, I won't tell you what some of my kids have said uh, in public because I don't want to embarrass them, but um, they have pointed out some things and just blurted it out loud and we're like, oh no, stop. (laughs) So here we have Peter sitting around this fire. A servant girl knows him in the the fire and begins staring and finally she said, this man is one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. For a while, someone else, after a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Some of your old versions of scripture say he said it with an oath. I swear I don't know him. And immediately while he was still speaking, while the words were still lingering on his lips, a rooster crowed. At that moment, now where's Peter? At that moment it says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. What would you do? What would you do? You're sitting there. Jesus is within sight of you. You're denying him. You deny him. You deny him one more time. A rooster crows in the background. Jesus turns and looks and catches eyes with Peter. Now, lest we're too hard on Peter, how many times have we done that? for fear of embarrassment or that we'll be called out or that our reputation will be marred or any other number of things. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. The the English language does not do it justice. When you read weeping in in the original languages, it's it's this gasping of breath kind of weeping. It's not just a whimpering or a tear trickling down the cheek. He is weeping bitterly, barely gathering air enough to cry out again in utter groanings. Now picture Peter on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, Mary comes to him and says, they've taken the Lord's body and we don't know where they've put him. I'm guessing Peter's still, Peter's still reeling from the rooster crowing in his mind and the look and the gaze of his savior in that moment and the look that he must have had in saying, I told you this would happen. Suffering shame and embarrassment. Mary comes to him first. Why does she come to him first? Because even in the midst of one of the most devastating actions that anybody could ever take against a friend, they still know that Peter, that Peter was somebody that the Lord loved and was the leader of the pack, if you will, next to Jesus. So Peter takes off running. Peter takes off running. He, he, he gets outpaced by John. 
When he arrives, he finds the tomb just as Mary described. The stone was rolled away. Peter goes straight into the tomb. He sees only the remains of the burial cloth laid out on the stone slab where Jesus' body had been and the head cloth folded neatly laying beside it. The, what was he to make of this? Why were the burial clothes left behind? I mean, if somebody had taken the body, would they not have taken the burial clothes too? Who would have taken, if somebody had stolen the body, why would we have this account in the gospels that the burial clothes were still there? Somebody's gonna make a quick haste of things. They're gonna beat up the guards and leave them somewhere. They're gonna break the stone away and then they're gonna take the body and take off running. And then they'll strip the burial clothes off some other place. But the clothes were laid out, is what it says. They were laid out there as if the body had evaporated through them. And then who would take the time to take the headcloth? You'd be wrapped from head to toe, almost like a mummy in this burial linen. So you'd have this one thing that would cover the front, the back, and then they would wrap you. And then there would be a headcloth that would be placed on the body before they would wrap it. And now imagine this, the burial cloth is laid out there and then if it were a grave robber, would they say, oh, this would be a neat little touch. Let's fold this very neatly and lay it over here. I mean, seriously, logic, logic doesn't offer that if it's a robber. In the midst of all that he could see, it still didn't make sense to Peter at this point. I wish I could have been just a fly on the wall inside of that tomb. Not when Jesus rose, just not only when he rose from the grave, but when, when they finally, when the followers of Jesus come and they're starting to see this stuff for the first time, I wish I could have seen the expressions and, and felt the palpable emotions of the moment. What were they experiencing? What was going through their minds at that moment? I mean, confusion was setting in. Wait, wait, the... The stone, the stones, how is this happening? The burial clothes are here, but that doesn't make sense. Wait, wait, where could, what, what's happening? What's happening in the midst of all of this? Truth may seem dead for a time, but it will always rise in the end. And what about John? In, pass, in this passage, John writes this gospel. All right, so now John refers to him as the one who Jesus loved. And we might think that's a bit arrogant. Yeah, I'm the one who Jesus loved. And that's the way we kind of see this, right? You know, John strutting his stuff. He loved you guys, but you know he loved me. That's kind of the image we get almost. But now think about that for a minute. For John to claim that he was the one who Jesus loved isn't to say that Jesus didn't love the others, but rather a way of testifying to the very character and nature of Jesus himself. I think this is more of an act of humility. And hear, hear me out on this. In another letter John writes in the New Testament, we call it 1 John, how does he refer to God? What is the term or the name he gives God? He says, God is love. God is love. He says it twice. So for John to refer to himself as the one whom Jesus loved would be a fair statement of the nature of who Jesus' character was. 
more than anything else. I don't think he was strutting his stomach saying, I'm the one that Jesus loved. I think he had fully resigned himself to the fact that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Yeah, I go by the name of John to everybody else, but to me, I'm, I'm the object of his love. How many of you could say that? and actually mean it and own it. Because I see so many people on a day-to-day basis and, and for nearly 20 years of ministry that don't believe that. They can't fathom that. They can't own that because they can't love themselves. But how, how short-sighted are we to not be ones who say, I'm the one who Jesus loves. He loves me. No matter what you've done, where you've come from, whether you've denied him three times or 300 times, no matter if you've, if you've uh, cursed him before people or not, he still loves you. And he offers you a way to salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And you can accept that or you can deny it. And so many people deny it and walk away from it. See, today, is not just a special day because of the resurrection of Christ, and we don't just do this one time a year. Every Sunday is a reminder of the day of the week that Jesus rose from the grave, and the early Christians and the early church would meet every Sunday morning in the darkness just before the sun rose and celebrate and sing songs of praise to Jesus, their Lord and Savior, and to God who gives them strength through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we continue that tradition every Sunday, remembering that the only reason we are here in this place is because there is a risen Savior. He lives, and because he lives, I can face anything. I can face tomorrow. Another important fact about John, and I'm gonna close with this here shortly, is that Jesus entrusted the care of his mother Mary to John. Did you know that? Now, Jesus is hanging on the cross and standing near the cross in John chapter 19 were Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Here's Mary Magdalene again. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, now he's hanging on the cross. He has the wherewithal to say these words, dear woman, here is your son. And as he said this to, his, to, to this disciple, here is your mother. He's talking to John, standing there at the foot of the cross. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Think of that for a minute. You, you, Jesus has physical half-brothers. James would write a letter in the New Testament. We have his his writings. Jude, his other brother from Mary and Joseph, has a writing, a very short one, just before the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. And they would write these after having believed in the resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus is telling John before the resurrection that he wants him to take care of his mom. John, the youngest of the 12 disciples, having the closeness and intimate relationship with Jesus more than his brothers because his brothers didn't believe who he was at the time, 
has the sensitivity and the wherewithal to believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. He comes to the tomb. Peter goes inside because John is just standing on the outside. I think he's frozen for a moment. He doesn't feel like he has the dignity or, or, or the wherewithal to even step inside this reverent and holy place where Jesus' body was laid. And Peter comes running up behind and goes in and he's looking around and then John finally steps in and what does it say that John does? He believes. He believes. It's like, it's like all of a sudden these things start rushing back into his head. Because up until this point, they didn't understand the scriptures. But all of a sudden, it's like a light bulb goes on and they see, they smell, they hear, they sense. They're, everything is enlivened by the, the, the moment. They take it in through all the confusion and, and they've got all of these thoughts just swirling about their heads. And John believes can you imagine in that moment, the tears that had must have been streaming down his face out of sadness become tears of joy. That the tomb is empty, not because his body's been stolen and taken somewhere else, but because he raised from the grave. Truth may seem dead for a time, but it will always rise in the end. In the Houston Chronicle a few years ago, there was an article written that described what people in the United States believe about the resurrection of Jesus. Here's a portion of what that article says. The resurrection of Jesus is central to the celebration of Easter. How many of you would agree with that? Okay, just making sure. But less than about half of adult Americans link the two together. The Barna Group found that only 42% of adults tied Easter to the resurrection. Adults between the ages of 18 to 25 did even worse than that. David Kenneman, uh, the president of the Barna Group, said the Easter holiday in particular still has a distinctly religious connection for people, but the specifics of it are really fading in a lot of people's minds. And that's kind of heartbreaking to me because this is a poll taken of Americans. When we forget what Easter stands for, it just becomes another day of Easter egg hunts, candies, pleasantries, dinners with families. But why, why do we celebrate? I pray you're not in that 42% that says, oh, I, oh, Jesus rose from, that's why we're doing this? Jesus rose from the grave. Huh, interesting. I hope it's more than that. I hope this isn't just another day in your calendar where you say, we got to go back. To, we got to go to church. It's Easter, and not really know the significance of why you're here. I hope this just is, just isn't a habit for you. I hope it is a way of life for you. I, I want you to experience what Peter and John and Mary and the rest of the disciples, minus Judas, experienced as they began to see the resurrected Christ, who had laid in that tomb. But then he comes up to them. And he says, here, feel this. Do you, do you feel the nails in my hands? You see where they were? And, and look, look at, this, look at the scar on my side. 
You remember when the Roman, they didn't break my legs. They stabbed me with the spear. There's a scar. Go touch it. It's real. It's me. And then he tells them, blessed are those who have seen and believed. But how, how much more blessed are those who haven't seen these things that you guys get to see and touch? And they still believe. We're apt to forget truth if we don't live it out on a daily basis. And truth has a name. His name is Jesus. Anything outside of Jesus is untrue. But Jesus himself is the truth. All truth is God's truth. And Jesus is truth. The truth of the resurrection of Christ is just that, truth. And I, I dare you to try to disprove it. I dare you because many a man and woman who are agnostic and atheist have tried and tried and tried. And when they put their mental powers and everything they had to disproving the resurrection, to disproving that Jesus actually lived, to disproving anything of the biblical story, they come to this realization that if they're doing their due diligence and not just their feelings, they realize, oh my goodness, Everything points to the truth of this. Josh McDowell, C.S. Lewis, Lee Strobel, just to name a few. They have books written where they set out to destroy the Christian faith because they thought it was a bunch of bunk and just some fairy tale story. And when they did, with all the wherewithal and the knowledge they had and doing the research, they came up empty-handed with anything against the resurrection. You see, this is the thing of it, it, the church should be challenging everybody to do. Be a critical thinker. Don't just believe it because some guy on a stage tells you it's true. Dig in, chew on the meat of the word of God. Test it against the theories in the world because I guarantee you and I can stand here today and tell you I know that you won't come up empty-handed with faith and it's not circumstantial it's archaeological it's historical it's scientific look at the medical field and, and, and they're they're looking at the cross through the medical lens we have so much at our disposal today with knowledge and research. I promise you, you won't come up empty-handed. But my, my fear is the United States is sliding down this wormhole that we believe everything and anything we read on social media, on the internet. We buy it hook, line, and sinker, and we can be swayed and tossed about like the waves of the sea. Why? Because we have no foundation. We're easily swayed by whatever the popular opinion is or whatever the most convincing argument is, but let's not give in to convincing arguments and the high-sounding nonsense as Paul tells us in Colossians chapter one and chapter two. Why don't we find ourselves digging into the truth of the word, the way, the truth, and the life who can set you free from sin and death? Why build a house on sinking sands? Build a house on the rock of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. 
the stone that had been rolled away, not by grave robbers, and not so that Jesus could get out, but so that they and the, the disciples and others could get in to see where Jesus was gone, is why we stand here today. Jesus didn't need the stone rolled away to get out. The stone needed to be rolled away so we could get in and see with our own eyes that he is risen from the dead. No matter how tough it gets, no matter how difficult life may seem, when hope is lost and when discouragement sets in, there is truth, and the truth is Jesus rose from the grave. And here's the point again today. Truth may seem dead for a time. You may have stepped into this place, and as our worship team comes forward to close this out this morning, truth may seem dead for a time in your life. You may be wondering what is truth, just the way Pilate asked Jesus when he was trying him. What is truth? But unlike Pilate, I pray you stay and find out the answer instead of walking away in discouragement. Truth may seem dead for a time, but I promise you it always rises in the end. And I would be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity today to know the truth of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. We will never see a revival of God's Holy Spirit upon the church in this culture until we're willing to fully surrender to the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't want part of you. He doesn't want just your head knowledge or your heart. He wants all of you. The greatest love that we can have for each other and that we can have for God is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. When you're living that out, truly living that out is when the Holy Spirit does his best work. But see, we're, we're wrapped up in ourselves too often. I've gotta hurry up and get, I've got a roast on this afternoon. I've got family coming over, I've got, any number of things, where is your mind this morning? Because if it's anywhere but here in this present moment, meditating on the fact that Jesus rose from the grave, you're missing it. I beg of you, don't step out of the threshold of these doors and go somewhere else and just go about your business. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it because he has risen from the grave. It is not just something we say, it is something we live. These altars are not just pieces of furniture that collect dust. They are places where people will pray with you. They are places where you can lay your burdens down, your discouragements down. No, you don't have to get up and walk up here, but there's something about physically moving from your stationary place and making a decision to release everything that is bearing on you and holding you down. If you identify with anything else but Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you're gonna get sunk. Your identity should be only, I am a child of God. So if you are here today and you don't know that, I beg you, I plead with you to do this one thing. At least consider the truth that came out of the empty tomb, that came out of that tomb and left it empty. And truth has a name, and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, yes, this is a day in the 365 days of our year, but it's more than a day. It's more than a concept, it's more than a cause. 
Because on this day, as we should every day of our lives, this day is a day to remember that we have hope. Because there is an empty tomb, the, the grave clothes are empty. The headcloth has been folded and laid aside because not even the wrappings or the stone or the stone slab could hold the body that rose from the grave, that took the sin of the world upon his shoulders as he hung on the cross and he nailed sin and death there once and for all and he conquered death through the empty tomb. God, that is where our hope lies and we don't live as people with no hope. Thank you for that hope. Thank you for that victory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website at www.northmaincog.org where you can learn more about us. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. And if you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that'd be helpful too. If you'd like to donate to the ongoing ministry of North Main, go to www.northmaincog.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Again, thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.